You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today for this extra special episode is Mason Jones. Hi, Mason. Hello. Thanks for uh, setting this up. Yeah. I mean, this was actually uh, one of the things when we were discussing what we should talk about uh, for another episode that that you had brought up. And this is an episode we've wanted to do for a long time as it's something that's Mm. Very near, dear, and important to the three of us, and obviously also yourself, <laughs> which is the Japanese-American Noise Treaty double CD compilation from 1995. A, a compilation that you curated. Long time ago now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, uh, I feel like most of our listeners know this thing. I feel like a lot of our listeners, this was probably one of the one of the nails that got hammered into their love of noise early on. I mean, for us, obviously this was one of those things that was within reach when you start discovering things. And there's such a wealth of artists on here and also sort of lending to understanding the Japanese noise a little bit better and having access to some of those projects that we weren't necessarily able to get everything of easily back then. And I mean, how did this, how did this come about? What's uh how how did they how did relapse approach you with this idea were you working on something already how did this uh, how did this compilation happen you know uh, be- before this in preparation i was kind of you know looking through my memory trying to remember the details of how it all happened when i was doing um, other stuff with uh, with journal music doing various releases and all uh i had been working with relapse as a mail order distributor uh, because bill one of the the two main guys at relapse was a big noise fan as well as a metal fan and uh, so they'd been doing some mail order distribution for me of of things i've been putting out Uh, and right around the same time i was also starting subarachnoid space and kind of right after this comp i guess uh, they they put out uh, the second subarachnoid CD as well. So you know I was in in communication with them, and I I want to say that you know Bill and I were just kind of talking about you know, about noise and kind of what was going on, and that there was so much happening that it would be really interesting to kind of pull it all together. And the idea you know, where exactly the idea of the dual. Japanese and American release came from, I, I no longer remember, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how that idea happened. But uh, once, you know, once we started kind of thinking about it, it, it sounded to me like a ton of fun to kind of bring together all the folks that were so busy making noise in Japan with the folks who were doing it in the U.S., Everybody was in communication with everybody already. And so it just felt like this sort of community that we had the opportunity to document. And around this time, you know, as as in case anyone has missed, we have done an episode with Mason about a year, actually about a year ago. Uh, I want to say it was January of last year. But again, memory is a crazy thing. And just refresh the anyone who has heard that or just in case you have not heard that episode you were doing charnel house in when did charnel house start in in the 90s or did was it in the 80s when trance started uh i first used the charnel house productions name in 80 
88, I think it was. Right on. So you had been working on Charnel House for a while at this point, and you were in contact with a lot of the Japanese artists. And, and at this time, you had you had been to Japan at this time, right? Before the comp came out? A couple of times, yeah. Right. So you were already in contact with a lot of the people on the Japanese CD already. Did you have the list more or less in mind when when you guys were discussing this? And were there outliers that you reached out to that never either never submitted a track or it just didn't happen? So obviously, you know, when doing any compilation, uh, there's the inevitable why wasn't this name included of course. Uh, mm-hmm. question uh, as well as occasionally though why the hell did you include the, this person question um which did come up a couple of times uh so when when you know the idea kind of was getting solidified i just you know sat down and started thinking about it and you know to be honest the first the first half of both discs was just a you know a gimme it was pretty obvious right, right? um and you know on the japanese side i think you know, if i hadn't been able to get a track from masami of a Mertzpo piece then you know i would have had to wonder should we even bother doing this thing right and especially I'll, then yeah exactly exactly uh, Mertzpo, basically Mertzpo and incapacitance started the whole thing really uh so they were both necessities um and you know i was i was lucky enough to have been uh, already corresponding with a lot of these folks, um, you know, and, and so I had known some of them for a while. Um, you know, was was lucky enough to you know, stay at Masami's house for a night the first time I went to Japan, and you know, get to to talk about stuff. And then Ijo Kaiden was also a gimme, of course, uh, and Jojo had to organize my first visit to Japan. Um, so the whole alchemy connection was super helpful. After that, the way that uh, I've thought about it, and you know, I've talked with other people about this idea as well, is that there were sort of three waves of Japanese noise. Um, you know, there was the, the first originators, Mertzbo, Incapacitance, Heijokaidan, and so on. Then there was the second wave, which was Mazona, Solmania, CCCC. Uh, and folks around that time period, and then there were there was the the third wave of sort of younger noise folks uh, who these days you know, I'd say is like uh, you know Killer Bug uh, and you know uh, folks like that. So I was trying to include the I guess the foundational noise artists, and then as much of the other two waves as I could to sort of show where things were going, and then some of the the newer artists who were really taking it to where it was going next as much as possible. And then there are the weird outliers. Uh, and I would say, for example, like Contagious Orgasm is an outlier. You know, um, some others that I didn't include, Seed Mouth. Right. So that I mean I, I I definitely I know we've talked about Seedmouth in the last yeah. episode. You have the great interview with him in the magazine. One of our absolute favorite yeah. artists. Was he? Did you ever ask him? Was he ever uh, asked, or was it just it just didn't necessarily come about? That's a great question. You know, I, I looked through my files to see if I had any notes on uh, some folks who I, I included 
uh, or, or hadn't included. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I, I know one of them that I wanted to include, and I, I think he was just not able to get something to me at the time, was uh, Maud Bruy. Right. Uh, that's an, uh, that was actually one I wanted to ask you about because yeah. someone who is missing from there that seemingly would have been on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, it's funny, one of the sort of uh, communities of mini communities of noise artists that I think of from the time was the vanilla records. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sort of groups. Uh, and Moen Brutes definitely was, was one of them. And, um, you know, I ended up helping press and distribute the the collection of his work right. that Mayuko did for uh, Endorphin Factory. So um, I know that I, I had looked into getting a track from him and I couldn't tell you now why that didn't happen. Um, I'd course. say that's probably the, the biggest uh, missing name for me yeah. that I, I wish was on there. Before we continue this conversation, a quick word from our sponsor. Now available on Oxen Records, Incapacitance, Oxen Man's Uneasiness, CD. Newest studio recordings from arguably the most important group in noise history, pushing the boundaries of their enduring style. NBDY, Woods and Wires CD, Superior Harsh Noise Cut Up from Czech Republic. Title still available, Dressing, From the Body to the Door. Scum, Unsustainable Social Condition, Necessary Downfall. Leah P, Surviving the Familiar. Available at oxenrecords.bigcartel.com. Was the idea always to have two Masana tracks or did he simply send two short tracks? Exactly. It was two short tracks. Yeah. You know, that last one is under a minute long. Yeah, uh, yeah. So putting it first and last on that disc just seemed too good. Yeah. And I, you know, for me, it's something I've talked about many times. I, I remember seeing an ad for the Japanese American Noise Treaty, probably in Sounds or one of those weird magazines that the borders would carry when I was in high school or whatever. And they would have ads for relapse. And that's the first time I saw the names of, I, I, I knew Mersbau and Masana, or at least I knew those names, but I, I'll never forget seeing CCCC and just my mind being blown up. Why is there a band with four C's? That's insane to me. I need to hear what this sounds like. The, so the, the impact of this compilation as well as, any of the relapse noise CDs is is so huge and it's something that was that is still felt to this day for people who got into it at that time and and took on creating noise from hearing those CDs from being exposed to those CDs in the suburbs of any state in the US that there wouldn't be a noise show necessarily or you just wouldn't know about it these CDs were in those stores in the borders in the best buys and there was ads in magazines were you excited at that opportunity to spread this a lot farther than maybe you would have been able to do with Charnel House or or even Alchemy? You know, were you feeling that excitement and maybe even a little bit of responsibility? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that was it was the most exciting reason to do this, right? Um, you know, I I didn't really I didn't really know necessarily how. Uh, how much reach relapse would really have. Uh, it was hard to tell. Um, I don't even recall right now how many copies they pressed up, right? I would love to know because it is mm -hmm. it is seemingly very hard to get these days. And so it's not necessarily one of those things that's still around. 
So I'm really curious as to the numbers of this. I, I've heard some numbers of some of the MERS bus CDs. I, I don't know how accurate they are, so I don't want to necessarily spread inaccuracies. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely more than anything I've ever pressed. You know, So you know, it's definitely like, at least from what I've heard. Yeah. What, do you remember what noise CDs were out preceding the compilation? From relapse, yeah, yeah, not much. Yeah, very had come out though. Yeah, in 94. that had come out, and then <laughs> maybe Pulse Demon or no, maybe Pulse Demon is after this. After the, I, I, think, I don't have them in front of me. Yeah, 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 probably after. Um, I know that the you know Bill was was the noise uh, guy, and and that was you know that was kind of the reason for the release sort of sub label right uh that that relapse was doing release was was bill's vision um and i if i remember correctly uh, mertzbo was the only one that uh that they'd been in touch with and released so far at that time yeah yeah and was do you do you recall was gx involved with relapse and release at this time because i know he said he also was helping maybe maybe a year or two later you know, helping with release stuff or, or at least ideas for it. Do you recall if he was involved at this time? I'm not positive. I don't mm -hmm. think so. Um, Cause this was sort of, you know, right when they were, you know, when they were experimenting with experimental, if you will. Right. Right. Uh, so I, I don't think so, but I couldn't swear to it. Um, I, I don't remember talking to him about, uh, you know, about it uh, at the time that I was putting this together. Right. So, compilations in the 90s gathering that material writing everybody what was that process and how were people sending the material how did that work back then because it just is such a different world from now just sending someone a file flag, and that's yeah. how a compilation is sent back sure then is. it was a very different beast and i'm sure especially dealing with not only the japanese but the american side had to have been some, a lot of different formats that you received things in. How do you recall how that went? For the American artists, I was just kind of you know writing letters to everybody uh, right. back back then anyway. So you know, uh, Princess Dragon Mom, I, I was corresponding with Warren from His Name Is Alive uh, more so than than Davin actually, uh, and then. You know, a couple of them were locals, of course. Uh, Allegory Chapel, you know, Eldon and I were, were working together and doing lots of stuff together still around that time. Um, Crawl Thick Unit. Thick as thieves. Yeah, yeah. Partners back then. Um, Crawl Unit, Joe was was in the Bay Area. Um, GX was was here in San Francisco at the time. And so, you know, those were fairly easy. Some of the others uh, I had just been, you know, corresponding with. Um, I had done... I remember actually now the the chronology. I think this was after I had done the Obkaki SP CD, uh, which is how I was in touch with uh, with them, with Paul and, and email. Uh, so that was just lots of, of letter writing and you know kind of looking through, you know who who do I need to include here and sending them letters, uh, and that inevitably also sort of affects the the list of who gets included, right? It's, you know, who's, who's in touch at the time. And, you know, that, that sort of has some selection bias to it. Definitely. 
for the, the Japanese artists. Um, a bunch of that was um, a very large phone bill from sending faxes every single day to people. Is that uh, how that worked? It really, it really was. Um, Japan was big into faxing. Um, I, I remember being at, at a, a friend's place there and uh, planning to go meet someone else. Uh, and they asked for the phone number of where I was staying and they faxed a tiny little map over because that's how <laughs> people found where they were going to because Tokyo streets are insane. Uh, so uh, I was I joked that the fax machine was invented so that people could fax little maps to each other so they could find each other's apartments. <laughs> it, it, it was actually it was expensive to fax. It wasn't it wasn't cheap. Well, back then it was you know, normal phone. It was like a long distance phone call. Oh, really? Yeah. Overseas yeah, fax. Yeah, yeah. It, it was wow. an overseas phone call. So yeah, at at that time that was a little after. Um, when I first started corresponding with a lot of the folks in Japan, I was working for a little a little company that um, was was fine with me using their fax machine, and so that was pretty great. Um, I, I sort of told them, "Are you are you sure? Because it's not going to be like five dollars a month." But mm. that was cool. But at this point, I was um, actually around this time. I think I was doing the label full time for a brief period uh, until I couldn't pay rent anymore. So the the phone bills definitely added up for the for the faxes. <laughs> Did relapse pay for that stuff, or was that was that all out of your pocket? Ah, uh, I think that was just all out of my pocket. I don't think I don't remember like collecting phone bill receipts and sending it to him. It was just you know, hey, I want to put this thing together, so whatever. Yeah. So were you were you compensated for putting out the compilation for curating it, or was that? Was it a labor of love on your part? Yeah, just a labor of love. Uh, you know, I, I got some copies for you know for my own mail order and stuff, but but that was about it. Um, and you know, copies for my for my track that's on it too. And how <clears throat> do you know what what kind of copies everyone received for being on the oh, compilation? That's an excellent question. I do not remember anymore. How hands on was relapse with with the compilation in terms of you did the curation. Uh, did you pick the graphic designer or artist that did this stuff? Did you pick the cover photo? Was that done by the design team? And, and uh, you know, did Bill have much input in this or Matthew in terms of working on it? Right. So the first thing was figuring out the title, right? And uh, I think I've, I may have mentioned this even last time we, we talked, but you know, the initial idea was, hey, if we're going to do this and we can have a CD of Japanese artists and a CD of American artists, then let's, you know, let's make it a noise war. Um, and and I was not into that idea um, because, like I said earlier on, this was an international community. You know, everybody was, was in touch with each other, um, playing shows with each other when, you know, when people would, primarily when the Japanese folks would come over here to tour. Uh, and so it was, it was by no means a war. Uh, so I realized that a noise treaty actually seemed like a really cool way to think about it. Uh, and so that was the, the title that I pushed. And, and just and, such a cool, yeah. great, great twist. Like you said, cause mm -hmm. of that, I always thought the name, I always thought that was such a genius twist to the name. And, and the name even just reading it somehow just lends this legitimacy to the entire project. Like yeah. I, it really it's a treaty. It's a, it's an, it's an important Japanese, document. Yeah, exactly. Like this <laughs> needs to happen. And it, and it takes a lot of energy to put it together and it takes a lot of people to get it going. And I, and I, 
always love that concept so much to really convey, you know, the community, the excitement. And I, I, right now I'm just thinking about, you know, the underground of male art that started it and all of this communication going overseas. But now I'm wondering like, you know, does anybody keep the the faxes that were sent back and forth because you are the faxes? first person. Like, are they archival? Do they die? What happened to the faxes? Yes. Do you have them in your file? That old fax paper does yellow over time for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I actually do do have a lot. Um, I, I I'm one of these people who sort of keeps everything. Um, right. So Thank I've you. got I've got um, I've got a file of my correspondence with various different people over over the years. Um, and yeah, a lot of it uh, was faxes between you know, between me and folks over there. Um, but it, it's it's actually funny. I, I hadn't really thought about the idea that you know, calling it a noise treaty makes it sound sort of like an, an official thing. But yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I like that idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. So Yeah, there's a heft to it. So when the title was set and then the art, of course, the, the famous, the hands tied with the rope, like, like Gray asked, whose idea was that? Were you involved in that concept? Um, not really. Uh, that idea, I think, just just came from their designer, uh, and I loved it. Right? And yeah, the yeah, way, yeah. And the way they did the the sort of uh, you know sort of portions of the flags in a way, yes. like half half and half, was really nicely done. So I, I you know I saw that idea um, and immediately was like, yes, th- this looks great. Yeah, and so, even the well, sort of classy touch of doing it in in a matte finish on the cover, you know, just little little things like that. The design's very clean on this thing. Yeah. It also has a gigantic booklet with it. So you said you were collecting a lot of stuff via fax. How did these visual submissions get provided? Yeah, those were all sent in um, pretty much with the recordings. Um we had the idea early on that we wanted to have kind of one page per artist, right, to to express themselves however they wanted. Uh, and uh, so I asked them for you know, whatever they wanted to send, uh, one one square CD booklet type page to send with it. And most of the submissions were, were sent on DAT tapes back then. Um, right. Pretty mm. much. I... I remember at least a couple came in on cassette. Yeah. I would have to assume from the American side of things. More so, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the list here trying to remember. Well, you do hear a great you hear a great a tape click at the end of the incapacitance track. And so I don't know if that was on a dat, but you do hear a tape like like a button, button being hit mm-hmm. and it's like the end of the so I wondered I did want to ask that do you recall if that was sent on tape or was that just part of the recording I'm pretty sure that was just part of the recording in, yeah, in yeah. their case yeah um, I'm I'm trying to think I I believe I got a dat from all of the Japanese submissions except maybe third organ mm-hmm. uh but I, I it's been a long time I'm I'm not sure uh, but I know that there were a few of the uh uh, American folks that I got just cassettes from. In my mind, Richard Ramirez has only ever used a yeah. cassette, so maybe he had a dat. Well, but, and wasn't the third but, organ track a little quieter? Well, we're gonna get to we're gonna okay. get to that mastering question uh, later mm-hmm. because it is a big part of the of this. So if it yeah. was on cassette, that would yeah. it, it, contribute to this 
is possible. But so everyone sent in the dats and the art together. Did you have to, was there anyone who didn't send in art that you had to either make or, or find a picture of, or did everyone pretty much adhere to the, we're going to send the music and the art? Yeah, every, everyone was good. Um, and I certainly wasn't going to create anything on their behalf. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you recall how long it took from the idea that this is happening, we're 100% doing this, double CD, starting now, do you recall how long it took to get everything in? From idea to the thing coming out was probably about a year. Man, that's fast for a compilation. Mm -hmm. 31 yeah. tracks, that's pretty fast. Yeah, you know, everyone, like I said, everyone was was sort of in communication already. Uh, and it's so it just became you know, part of like, you know, oh, OK, if we're going to do this, the next time I write to so and so, I'm going to mention this and, and start collecting these. Uh, and you know, everyone was was pretty fast and pretty on top of it once the idea came along. The American CD has more artists that maybe only had one CD out or maybe only comp tracks. Whereas the Japanese CD has a lot of the artists there had already had CDs out, you know, had been established. Were you, did you have that in mind when you were asking some of the American artists that you wanted some newer artists that maybe didn't have a ton of stuff out yet? Uh, a little bit, yes. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, in the case of the Japanese folks, I was purposely trying to make sure that I had the foundational artists yeah. and then, you know, kind of representatives from the waves of, of Japanese noise. In the case of the American artists, it's a little bit different. There wasn't quite the same foundational list of artists, but there were some definitely really important uh, I'm not sure what the right way to put it is. Some some folks who had really put a stake in the ground for American noise, who I definitely needed to include. Um, haters, Macronympha, sure. yeah. Daniel Mensch, yeah. Speculum Fight, Richard Ramirez, right? Yes, right there. Um, so those were the obvious, like, you know, I said, okay, we're doing a Japanese disc and an American disc. These are the ones I need from the American side. Now, who else? Uh, and then again, I wanted to have some folks who were more the present and future of noise. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Uh, so that's where some folks like you know, Princess Dragon Mom were not well-known, uh, not a well-known noise artist necessarily, but were having a big impact in their area. You know, and I'm, I'm from Michigan, so I kind of knew that right. area a little mm -hmm. bit, right? Uh, and then, you know, Cocky SP was getting known, but not, not super well known, right? Uh, Dog, similarly. So that was a matter of folks that I was in touch with or had heard about and wanted to bring in to you know, kind of show some of the other facets of noise in America. Princess Dragon Mom being really huge for me, of course, because Devin was working at a record store where I was buying a lot of my noise at the time. A lot of there the shows go. that were being booked were being booked by Devin or Princess Dragon Mom. They would do sort of yearly or seasonal shows. So there was a lot of stuff 
going on from that. So seeing them on this list makes a lot of sense. But, you know, I guess they did had a gross tape before that. And they were also heavily in touch with the Japanese side of things, you know, like having a gross tape, talking and bringing Koji over and government alpha over. There's another Michigan act on here who's a little unexpected, which would be Cauterizer. Yes. Yeah. And when I was kind of reviewing things for, for this, uh, I, I was kind of looking through and to be totally honest, I don't remember the details of, of how we were in touch at the time. Um, but definitely, you know, they were a, a lesser known name that had a really strong sound and felt like a really good inclusion here. And what about uh, something like Walking Time Bombs? I know Scott Ayers was, of course, involved in Paintings, yeah. Texas, right? So already a, a sort of noise, noise rock connection there, but not someone that I think of as having done a lot of noise. I don't think they had any full lengths out until a few years later, which I think you actually released. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. 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 That's, it's an interesting one. And, you know, looking back, uh, I might not, you know, in retrospect have included walking time bombs, not because it's the, the track isn't good. I think it's a really cool track that lends some balance to, to the CD, but more that, you know, when it comes to, uh, the representation of the broad sound of noise in America. I'm not really sure now that Walking Time Bombs was a representative act to include. I think maybe there might have been um, a, another opportunity for somebody else that would have ended up making it a stronger document, maybe. Uh, but I like the track you know, in, in its place, mm-hmm. and so it's a cool inclusion that way. But you're right that you know, Walking Time Bombs is not a not what people would think of as a noise act in America, right? In the same way. And of course, uh, speaking of things you released or, or your involvement, the White Rose is a project that you were involved with. Uh, yeah. Well, you said you were sort of you were starting subarachnoid space around this time, and you you know you're also still doing trance around the time this would have been getting put together. So what was the decision to go with the White Rose? Yeah, Trance had moved into a style that was definitely much more of a sort of experimental, symphonic, noisy thing, not so much really a noise uh, project. And so when it came to, uh, you know, the noise work, I was looking for kind of a new, you know, a new identity to do it under. And so White Rose was one that I used for a little while. Um, I sort of put it aside, actually, when I took a break from doing noise for whatever reason, just because I was busy with other stuff. Uh, but the White Rose was was the name that I settled on uh, as a, and the name was sort of picked as an anti-fascism selection, given some of the ambiguity that some noise artists like to play with. And there's only three White Rose tracks, as far as I know, all on classic compilations. Yeah. American Noise, United States of Terrorism, and Japanese American Noise Treaty. Was there ever any recording for a tape, a full length? Why did you end up dropping the project? Or is it just it just faded and you moved on to other things? 
Yeah, there, there were the bits and pieces that I did. Uh, I was working on some other things. And then really just my time got consumed with uh, touring with subarachnoid space and, and other things. And, uh, you know, it, it, there was a point where I was doing uh, White Rose and subarachnoid space and a little bit of trance work and running the label and publishing on Gaku Otaku and trying to work a job. And wow. it was just way too much. So I, I just shed some things and focused for a bit. And White Rose just wasn't something that I stuck with. And when I started doing some noise again, for whatever reason, I just picked up another name. In talking about having this be a document that looks at noise at the time in America, there are two... Artists. Well, I'm sure people have said again. You, we've already mentioned why isn't so and so on there? Why is so and so on there? There's two artists that I do think are is I would have expected to be on this this CD: Emil Bolio and Skin Crime. Were either of them contacted? Was Ron contacted at all? That's a great question. Oh, I wish I could remember that. Uh, you know, I, I was in in touch with Ron uh, certainly. And as I recall, actually, that was during a period when Emil Bulio was sort of quiet. Um, there wasn't right. a lot, a lot going on, and so I think, I think it may be that I just didn't. Well, that's that Dave um, Shirk mastering, right? For something because it felt like it was potentially a retired project. Mm -hmm. Right, and I know Skin Crime would end up on the Release Your Mind CD. Yeah. But that was one I, I would have thought would have been around this time as well. But I guess it was, Skin Crime was also pretty, I mean, 90, I guess 94-ish. It was still relatively a new project, I guess. Yeah, it may it may well be that we weren't in touch yet at the time, right. to be right, honest. Right. Well, when I, yeah. when I think of... Mason Jones, one name that doesn't really stick out to me as someone that you were would would be throwing on to listen to or would have curated for this compilation, uh, an artist we all love, Taint, uh, is sort of maybe surprising just given uh, subject matter and approach is a little different than a lot of the Americans on here. So how how did that come about? Because I'm I'm very happy he's here and I I think this is a fantastic track, classic track. Yeah, I mean Keith and I were were in touch. Uh, but not not deeply in touch, um, and th that was very much, uh, if I remember correctly, a matter of really thinking what I had heard was pretty fantastic and would just really be an important thing to include on this compilation. Um, so that was definitely a matter of, hey, here's a, a relatively newer name that feels important to include. Super important. I'm so glad it's included. And yeah, I can't remember if it was you or I think actually I think it was Jonathan Kennedy who gave us the infamous story that the guitar player from Radiohead really liked that track. There is a uh, story that he said he loved mm -hmm. gagging on piss by taint on the Japanese American noise street. I, I, now I want to say it was Kennedy who told us. <laughs> it was not me. I have, I'm not sure I've ever heard that. Before. Well, there you go. But, yes. So then it definitely was Kennedy. And he said that, yes, 
that the he has stated that he loves the track Gang on Piss by Tate. So I, I may have to follow go. up with Jonathan and ask about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In what context do. did that come up? <laughs> I, you know what? Now I can't 100% remember, so you will have to talk to him. And, you know, we mentioned Kennedy, who did work with Real Labs and did do design, but I don't yeah. think was doing design at this time. Uh, not on this, at least. No, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty right. sure it was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, even after all this time, this album is a topic of conversation. It'll never and, stop. Anymore. I mean, it it has been for us for you know decades at this point. Do you recall, you know, again, we, you know, we look back on these things as, you know, what a huge release this was. Was there backlash at all for it being the closest thing to a major label type thing? Was there any sort of backlash or, was, or, or were people just psyched that this was getting done? Do you recall that at all? I mean, at, at the time, I don't think that we really, that, that anybody really thought of it as such a big label. Uh, yeah, because this was underground. I mean, yeah we, yeah, we talk about how big it was just in context mm -hmm. and relatively, but yeah, Relapse was still, you know, an an underground death metal label. You know, it wasn't, it you know, it, it is, it wasn't a major label. But looking back on it, com relatively speaking, compared to an edition of fifty cassettes dubbed at home, you know, we can look at it and be like, oh, this was a major undertaking. You know, for sure. Yeah, you know, in in general, everything that I pressed up was in a quantity of a thousand or so. Right, I right, think the, right. the, the most I ever pressed of anything was 5,000 copies. Well, um, also back then it, you couldn't, you know, it wasn't easy to press less than a thousand copies. That was what the plants expected. Whereas nowadays you can do a hundred, 200, yeah. 300 actual mm -hmm. glass master CDs. Even back when I started pressing stuff in the early two thousands, there wasn't an option for, for 500 CDs or whatever, you, you were making a thousand or something and that was the least you could make. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Plus with the printing, you know, printing up a thousand copies of something versus 300 copies of something, the price was basically the same. Yeah. So what the hell I may as well do more. Uh, but you know, the, the idea of, of honestly, the idea of someone doing more than a thousand copies of a double CD noise compilation sounded kind of ridiculous, right? It's like, uh, there aren't that many people in the world who are going to listen to this thing, are there? Uh, as it turned out, I guess there were more than that, which was really, really cool. But you know, at the time we were putting it together, I, you know, I just looked at it as, as an opportunity to you know, say, hey, someone's interested in helping spread the word about all of this stuff on a slightly bigger scale um, and wants to do a really nice job of it. So this is awesome. And I don't remember anybody at all really saying, you know, oh, this is, you know, selling out really, you know, one of the beautiful things about doing noise is that selling out is basically an impossibility. Let's get real. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got good, 200 yeah, copies. Yeah, go, yeah, I yeah, sold yeah. out. Good, good <laughs> luck to anyone who tries. <laughs> so on the Japanese side, you'd mentioned like not getting a track from Mertzbau would have probably been like, well, <laughs> why even bother? Right. Because huge name and it also it must have been not a concern because he was already working with three laps and you were in touch with him so one of those things that seemed like a natural to happen uh so there's there's two other artists that worked with relapse release uh immediately visible on the american side pika and namanax 
Uh, and Namanex, including what I believe is the only previously released, or maybe it wasn't at the time, uh, track of the compilation with an edit of Contaminating Influence? I don't think it had been released yet because we we were purposely wanting new tracks for this. Um, so I, I think this was a the kind of the he'd done the track and then said, okay, I can t- do an edit for this to pretty much fit the fill the rest of the maximum running time on a CD, uh, and then kind of put the full length track out later. And uh, also uh, Pika also, which I believe uh, Phil was involved with at times. Uh, at at times, uh, you know, I always I kind of thought of it as uh, as Steve's project for the most part. But really, I guess you know it was often, maybe more often than not, a duo. Yeah. So those two were um, sort of you know Bill's nominations if you will as right. we were talk, talking about you know who should we include um and you know when we were looking at the american side you know he's like hey can we you know, how about these two yeah um, and they're both cool tracks so it worked for me oh totally mm-hmm. and yet these cds are to the brim both <laughs> around 75 minutes each was was there any edits that had to be made for time or did it just all happen to work out that it absolutely filled up the cd do you recall i'm pretty sure that we did ask permission to um, use not quite the complete tracks in some cases in order to just be able to fit enough people Mm -hmm. on right Uh, because we and I, i did definitely uh kind of ask for no more, as I recall, I asked for no more than six minutes. And a few people came in over and was like, all right, fine, close enough. Um, right, mm-hmm. right. And because Masana's got two super short tracks, so yeah. someone might make up for it. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, we, number one, I think, you know, on a noise compilation, having, you know, honestly, having more than five minutes of, of an artist is, is maybe excessive. Or a compilation where what you want to do is is um, provide a, a a picture of a group of artists, uh, unless you're going for a specific you know, long running track theme of some right, kind. Right. And another iconic portion of this release would be the warning page that is included also with the instructions to play loud. Was this warning? brought about through an incident whose idea was it how did that happen i was trying to remember if this was the first one the first release that they put this warning on i i think it might be the second one because i i think potentially venereology had the same warning um but having just recently moved i didn't have a chance to pull my copy out and double check Uh, i don't know if any of you did uh but definitely it was one of the first ones that they put the warning on and do you do you know if there had been any complaints to relapse prior and they did put this on for a reason? Or is it just is it was it truly for liability reasons? I think it was more a little bit of of a uh, WWF kind of like this thing is so massive, so strong, so loud, so noisy that we need to warn you, or else you're going to destroy your equipment. Uh, I think it was it was really done in in that vein. Um, I'd never heard of anyone, you know any actual incident uh that was that was involved it was more um you know here's a warning 
because this is going to blow you away. <laughs> well, I do remember at the time I was working on a radio station in Lexington when I discovered noise and when I got this and when I got all the Mersbaugh CDs, et cetera. And when we would play anything on relapse, any of the noise CDs, we had to turn the, the pots down. Kids, oh, the Lord. pots. That's right. Yes, kids. You oh, may Lord. know what that means. We had to turn that down to basically between one and two, whereas anything else would be more in the middle, more around five <clears throat> or six, any normal CD. It really was insane how much louder these CDs Just were. Master loud. It's it's true. Did did a bunch of I mean all the the Mertzbau stuff we talk about on we've talked about on relapse was also mastered by him is the reason for that brutal loudness and this mostly has it. There's a couple tracks where where that that mastering falters a bit, which is kind of surprising. So there's yeah, there's yeah. there's two tracks in particular, and do you recall it? The two tracks are Pain Jerk and Third Organ. They're they're significantly quieter than the other tracks. Do you recall what happened with those? I don't. I don't. Uh, but you know, number one, you're you're right that you know, although the warning is is definitely sort of tongue in cheek and and for fun, uh, they did in fact locate a guy who was able to master these CDs louder than anything else I've ever come across. Yeah, it's still totally true. Uh, and which, definitely, the yeah. artists have destroyed equipment through their sound. There's absolutely. Yeah. No question about that. So, I've hey. I've seen it happen in person, actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I remember. Um, uh, it was at the the Kingdom of Noise Festival. Um, that was actually Borby Namagus, though, who would have been cool to include on this as well. But sure. uh, oh, yeah. they they actually uh, uh, caused one of my friend's amps to catch fire. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah, uh, but. Regarding, you know, back to those two tracks, I can't tell you exactly the reasons for that, but it does make me suspect that those might have been cassette tracks. Right, submitted differently. And it may be that when they went to, you know, really kind of maximize the volume, um, it, it, there was the noise floor was just too high noise floor but that you know the hiss uh from the cassettes may have been just a little bit too much for them to compensate for that's my best guess yeah because third organ can get harsh oh yeah, yeah. i mean pain jerk, may pain jerk too but yeah. absolutely now the order of both cds how did that come about did you also curate the order and do you recall your thinking behind it, how you ended up ordering both CDs? Yeah, I don't remember absolute detail, but um, I do remember when kind of figuring out what, what order we wanted to do things in. I wanted to have it have noticeable ups and downs and to some extent, sort of sideways uh, kind of move rather than having like three tracks of you know, the harshest stuff. So, you know, that's why you'll see um, you know, K2 to MSBR to CCCC is kind of a little bit of a, of a flow from metal to some intricate harshness to then the sort of psychedelicness of CCCC's sound and then the pain jerk, right? And then you've, you've got, you know, the pain jerk 
blast. You know, he's he's pretty intense. But then contagious orgasm, yes. where that's I, the sideways move, right? Yes, and I've always thought that was such a great position in the CD. And you know, we love contagious orgasm. And I, that's I think one of the most the great in, inclusions in it, framing him in this world because he does yeah. go so many different places. That you know, this is 100 percent my introduction to contagious orgasm. Yeah, and I, yeah I love oh. the that where it's landed and and that being there. Yeah. Yeah, and then again, astro and incapacitance, Ob, and then Mertzbo and Hijakaiden. You know, Ob is is obviously less harsh than the others, although this is a pretty intense Ob track. Uh, but it definitely gives you a little bit of a lull before going back into it with Mertzbo. The Hijakaiden track, I thought, was a slightly unusual one for them as well, because it's not as shrill, if you will, right. that yeah, as, yeah. as Hijakaiden can can be. Right, absolutely. There is, there's almost a warmth to the track, even even when you get the Junko vocals. It's it's such a great track, and Ob, yeah. you know, Ob has that coldness uh, that that I associate with Ob, mm -hmm. and it's really on this track here. There's there is something. It is a a harsh track, but there is something very different about it, especially compared to the what's on either side of it. His his approach to noise was so different, you know, so different uh, from from the others on on all of his releases. And it's interesting you call it coldness. And I, I can see that. Um, it's for me, it's a detachment in a there way where he was very analytical uh, in terms of how he approached the the sound. Whereas many of the other noise artists are specifically cathartic and letting themselves loose in it. He always held back a little bit, uh, in, in a, held himself back, I should say. The, the sound mm -hmm. is not held back, but he held himself back a little bit and really approached it from a more designer standpoint, which was his, his personality, right? He was designing the sound. Uh, one of my favorite shows I've ever played to this day was in Kyoto with him, where I was playing guitar and we, we split my signal sent one into into my amp and then sent one to him and then he processed my sound live during the show um cool. and so wow. listening to myself and then listening to what he was doing during the show and playing to that was fascinating so cool that's oh, awesome that's amazing. that'd be amazing and you then know, this track i've always for some reason even upon hearing it i've thought that i i knew the sound source which i assume is a uh, single vco a voltage controlled oscillator as the sound source and i hear what might be that but it's hard to tell but then i went and looked for information about that and i, I couldn't find it anywhere so i'm not sure if i made that up or i'm getting it confused with something else did you did he include any information in regards to that no i don't think so now that you mention it um which is interesting given his mo um this was around the time when he was working with fluorescent light tubes so it's possible that that's it, which, I mean, I don't know. It might sound similar to, to the VCO source, <laughs> you know? Right. The two guitar tracks are next to each other. Was that something you specifically wanted to do, Diesel Guitar and Soul Mania? Was that an idea you had, or was it... Well, I guess Hydrokaiden is technically guitar as well. Some guitar, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. certainly like, so, yeah. sounds less yeah. like guitar than yeah, anybody yeah. else. Was that was that? <laughs> an, did you want specifically to put those two together? Or did it just happen that way? 
Uh, it was more based on the sound of the tracks than the you know what the origin was. Um, in that case, I felt like uh, finishing with Solmania and then Mazana felt right. It's so cool. Uh, and then you know, with, from Hijakaiden to Third Organ to Diesel Guitar was kind of an interesting transition. In it would have been very tempting to put the Diesel Guitar track earlier in the CD. It's definitely a more mellow, you know, especially backed up against Solmania, a more mellow yeah. approach to the guitar. But I actually enjoy yeah. and like that the two guitar tracks are sort of right near each other at the end of this one. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, the sort of more guitar based tracks on the American disc do take place earlier. There's White Rose and Walking Time Bombs. Yep. Yeah, true. Um, I'm trying to think if. Probably none of the others would have had any guitar origin. Maybe, maybe some maybe of dog. I was going to say, I think dog. I think dog, I yeah. feel like there's some yeah. dog. Yeah, very possibly. <clears throat> um, but yeah, both the uh, both the White Rose and the Walking Time Bombs are, are guitar based with a bunch of other stuff sort of thrown in there. So they're they're separated on purpose because they would have been a little too similar one right after the other. Um, but they're they're earlier in the CD, and the the sequencing of the American one was less clear to me as I was kind of putting, you know, laying things out and looking at what I had. Um, somehow the Japanese one, the the flow felt pretty straightforward when I started on it. For the American one, number one, there's there's more variation in some ways. Yes, um, just in I don't know what it is. And that's honestly, that's one of the reasons that putting this together was, was interesting and fun is like, if, if you think of them this way, what strikes you about the difference in approach between Japanese artists versus American artists? And are there, are there generalities? Cause in, in many ways I would say, no, there aren't because you, you look at you know, any of the Japanese artists and even if they're doing mostly tabletop effects stuff, uh, you know, pain jerk versus incapacitance. They don't sound anything like each other. Totally different. Right. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can try to generalize, but hopefully one of the takeaways that people had from this compilation is that you'll, you'll fail if you try to generalize it. It doesn't work that way. These are, you know, individuals, you know, doing their own thing with a common purpose, common, I don't know, common approach to the, the escape from reality they're trying to create, you know? And for the, the American side, it, it is super interesting that I think there's a, a wider variation of approaches, uh, that's, that made the sequencing definitely trickier. I wanted to again make sure that I didn't have you know, three or four tracks of of harsh noise uh, without some separation and give people ups and downs, give people variation to you know, to go through you know, almost eighty minutes of noise, right? So you know you look at something like even the the haters to taint is very different. But they're yeah. walking time bombs in the middle before you get to Mechanympha and Cauterizer, you know, hopefully is is part of that break. And so that was, was very much what I was trying to get to with the sequencing. And then you get Eldon's track, you know, which yep. is so perfect. 
allegory mm-hmm. chapel, you know, distillation, right? You know, it's I think yeah. we we all said that. We're like, man, yeah. what a you know, this is Eldon's track. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like it just yeah, totally it's fit. like you're hanging out listening to this and then all of a sudden you'll be like, Oh, allegory chapels. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. it's it's <laughs> that thing where you're like, you know, calling out to each other what track you're at when you weren't paying attention. That's yeah. like the fun of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like I got this. Like, wait, you know? that's Menchie? I, yeah. I I thought it was Speculum Fight. Hang yeah, on, check yeah. the track again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the you know, the the order has just always gotten me so excited. And I think by the time you get to cocky SP, you know, just pure, you know, that's that cocky SP to me really sets something for the American side of things. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the sample, the song into the blast, into the track title. I left my cock in San Francisco, you know, just, you see the page in the booklet and it's, you know, Yep. Unforgettable. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because you know that was that was a track that some people were saying, you know, why is this in here? It's not that's not really noise. That's you know that's something else. And I mean, to some extent, that's the point. That, that really is something else. <laughs> you know, we that's an accidental know, hand job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we we just did a few episodes ago. Did uh, the cocky SP pure CD, and well, I was reaching out to different people before doing it. Like, oh, we're doing cocky SP and you know, it's such a divisive band for so yes. many people. It's like so important. What a huge thing. One of the first things I've heard. And then for a lot of people, there's yeah, again, it's that thing, you know, a lot of their titles were making fun of other bands. So I, I see where there might be tongue in cheek references. But, but we always said with Kagi Speed, they hated themselves. So they made fun of themselves as much as they made fun of anyone else. The self-depreciating nature of them is what makes Kaki SP work in that realm. And I think it is totally important for American noise at this time. That was part of American noise. There is that Bolio would have had right. some of that as well. Just that I irreverence. Don't know, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is that that they that that side of American noise has, but it's certainly something you don't see in Japanese noise. Yeah. Was there ever a push to do a sequel or to do a different type of noise treaty? Uh, you know, European artists or anything like that. Yeah, I really did think about doing a, a European one, you know, doing an a America-Europe uh, noise treaty. But that that was a tricky one. I mean, number one, you know, Europe is not one country. And when you think about the approaches, like how, how would I put together something with, you know, the the UK approach to noise, the Italy approach to noise, the Swedish approach to noise, German, they're very, very different, right? So it never quite felt like it would work the same way. Um, It would have been super interesting to do instead like a a series. Um, Let's let's do, you know, let's kind of do this one and then step back and say, what what if we did one CD per country right, for like right. a, a 10 CD series? That would be insane and beautiful, right? Let's do mm-hmm. a, a UK noise one and then Italian noise one, German noise ones, and so on. Um, would have been really, really cool, but that's a massive project. Um, I also felt like you know, doing doing the US and Japan was, was like per, the perfect project for me at the time. Uh, I was in touch with lots of folks in Europe, but not to the same extent where I felt like I could 
<laughs> I don't know, be confident that my selections would actually be representative and sensible. Uh, so there, there would be other people who would be better for that than me. Did doing this compilation open any doors for you or get more exposure for what you were doing and what, what charnel house was doing? I mean, your name is, is right there on the first page of the booklet. Uh, and did, what did you see it doing for noise when it came out? Like, was there a, a visible impact? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, for, for me, I, I don't think it really changed any, anything in particular. Um, I, you know, I loved being in contact with people and bringing people together and connecting folks. And, uh, you know, I, I think it helped a little bit in setting up, uh, shows, uh, around the U S for folks coming over from Japan. Uh, I think maybe it did the, you know, the same in the opposite direction as well, that, you know, there were noise artists here who now had, you know, folks in Japan that, that they weren't in touch with before and were now. Uh, so hopefully it you know, led to more, you know, more connectivity and a stronger community in, in that way. I hope that it did open doors for noise artists to reach people that they hadn't reached before. Uh, that was definitely the whole point to it is, is both documenting a point in time for these, you know, for these communities, but also, you know, widening, broadening the audience for, for everybody. Um, again, like I said, it, it wasn't clear when, when we started, whether this would be you know, just another compilation or whether it would be anything bigger than that. Um, we certainly hoped that, you know, relapse and, and, you know, Bill's boundless enthusiasm would help to just get the word out uh, and, you know, make this sort of thing available to people in places where they might not have stumbled on it before. Uh, that was, that's the, the biggest thing for sure is, you know, sure, I could, I could put out some CDs and get them on, on Charnel into stores here and there, um, but, you know, relapses audience and distribution and focus was very different. And so it seemed inevitable that people would come across this stuff who wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and that's 100%. definitely what it's about. And a hundred percent that happened. Like, you mm -hmm. know, like I said, even just, even just the professional presentation for someone like myself who was just getting exposed to this stuff, it felt important. It felt like this is an important thing that, I definitely need to hear. I definitely need to have. And now I have all these artists that I'm getting familiar with, have their contact, have the name, can go find the other thing, pull up their triple R catalog and order the recycled tape from whoever yeah. because I like their track on this. is absolutely huge. And the importance is still to me, I, I don't know if there's an equivalent or or could be anymore. It's just such a everything's so different than it was back then. But it's something that was studied. Yeah, it, you know? it really felt so important and and still does to this day. And it absolutely that that effect, that ripple effect is was felt no question. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you going to work on any other stuff with bill and what was working with bill like he's somebody who's a bit of a mystery to me bill if you're listening we'd love to talk to you what was working with bill like what was his attitude what was his what was his approach like 
I mean, Bill, like I said, Bill was enthusiasm. And I, I love the fact that he was you know, into a really wide variety of things. And, you know, he brought pretty much all the non-metal stuff to relapse. Um, you know, Matt was, was the metal guy and the business guy. And Bill was more the crazy idea guy, I think. Wait, 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 wait. The noise guy wasn't a business guy? No, come on. <laughs> right, We're all right. really smart with that kind of stuff. That's, that's all our specialties. <laughs> yep, yep. It's like, oh, let's press up thousands of copies of this ridiculous noise thing. People are bound to love it. Like, yeah, wow. that's how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not, right? Yeah. But, but it's good. Bless him for trying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was the one I was, I was primarily in touch with uh, early on, and then when um, I mean the the way that Subarachnoid Space ended up doing three albums with with Relapse is that I released the first one just just for whatever because yeah, let's do it. Uh, Relapse was distributing my stuff. I sent some copies over, and Bill you know got got in touch and said, "Hey, what's this thing that you're doing? This is really cool. Um, are you going to do more?" I said, well, yeah. Um, and I sent him a, a tape uh, or you know, a that of uh, some newer recordings. And he said, oh, this is great. What, what if we released it? And then it turned into a three record deal with Relapse and going so cool. on tour because that was the way he operated. Right? It's like, I like this thing, so I'm going to try to do something with it. Um, I remember awesome. being on tour. Um, I guess it was the first... Well, the the first U.S. tour that we did was Subarachnoid Space, and we, um, you know, we we visit their offices, and uh, Bill said, "Hey, I was talking with a bunch of the of the guys here, and um, we were thinking it would be great if you just played a show in my garage tonight for for everybody." And we're like, "Sure, all right, we're going to be yes. staying there anyway. Let's let's do it." <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that was again just classic uh, the the way it operated, and you know, he had a bunch of people over bunch of beer we turned on our smoke machines and strobes so that you couldn't see anything in the garage except flashing lights we couldn't even see each other when we were playing uh and just just went for it and <laughs> it was great uh, so oh, so fun so yeah he was yeah uh, <clears throat> i i guess you know, and i don't really know for sure but i guess that you know eventually he just got to the point where the stuff that he really loved wasn't really what relapse needed um it wasn't wasn't really working i guess uh as relapse got bigger which you know, kind of makes sense so you know i haven't yeah i haven't been in touch with him for a good while unfortunately but uh yeah do you recall the excitement when you received your copies or the first time you saw the copy of japanese american illustrated oh yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, number one, yeah, I had seen the the layout, but and I knew that you know relapse. Honestly, relapse's designers were top notch. Yeah, you know, all of the stuff is amazing, right? Uh, and so the fact that they did the um, uh, the glossy print layer on the front, so you know, it's, as you kind of turn it, it 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 looks a little, you know, it looks shinier. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful production. And then, you know, you open it out and it opens fully gatefold with the two CDs and the two flags on it. it looks so nice. You know, that the, the joy of seeing how beautiful it was, was certainly the first thing, but, uh, yeah, then it's just putting it on and letting it blast and, um, uh, you know, feeling like, you know, hopefully this thing is going to 
find a bunch of new people, right? Now, absolutely did. We're fanatics in both the Connellys and myself have the Japanese American Noise Treaty promotional poster on on newsprint. That's uh, how they did all their posters back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in our homes, did they send you a stack of posters with your CDs? Was that something that you you also got for being part of it? Did they send those out to all the artists? I think they did. Yeah, um, I, I certainly got some. Uh, and bizarrely, I don't seem to have any anymore. Um, I don't seem to have one, um, which is kind of weird because I do tend to keep everything like that. But who knows? Maybe it is still around here and unpacking in our new place. So I will stumble on it. Yeah, I know <clears throat> mine came from Eldon, so I assume that. But he's also someone that keeps everything uh and so am I actually just today I found a postcard from 1999 uh, that I have kept for 24 years, apparently. So I like I hang on to, to that stuff, too. I, I fully get it. But uh, I was just, yeah, didn't know, you know, f- sometimes places do promotional posters and or with back when they used to do uh, flats, right? The 12 by 12 uh, like cardstock things. And sure. they, they would you wouldn't get those as the artists. They were just sent to record stores to promote the thing. They weren't like a cool object for you to have. Yeah, I think that was one of the advantages to them doing the newsprint is is they you know, they printed a bunch of them and just spread them around. You know, you give them mm-hmm. to give them to the artists, and you know some of those artists work in record stores, or they'll give them to friends in record stores, and they'll go up, uh, and you know they'll they'll help spread the word. So they they did that for all the tour posters as well. Those were all giant newsprint things that they could just fold up and send to clubs and send to radio stations and everything. So it was a you know, pretty inexpensive promotion. It's so cool. So cool that Tara and I sleep under that poster. That's how important this compilation is to us. And just pop open those papers first thing in the morning. Look up, see those hands are shaking together under the treaty. A great day. Well, that's pretty amazing. Truly one of the most important documents of 90s noise. And we can't thank you enough for putting this together. Digipex, a lot of times, after as the years go on, they can really get beat up. And ours has a lot they of do. love. It's got a lot of love, but it's still <laughs> very much intact. Mm-hmm. And it's never a time where you don't see the CD, don't see it in the stacks. And you just get that little tinge of, yeah, that was exciting. And yeah, that was one of the first, especially for people of our generation. Oh, yeah, that and and, and Mersbau and... And the Masana and my mystique, those were those will always be really special to us, to us and to a lot of people in our generation and age group because those are the ones we saw, those are the ones we got our hands on. And then here we are talking about it, low these many decades later, and we'll forever be talking about it and forever be thinking about it. But Mason, you are that's pretty crazy. You were the reason that we are talking about this now. So putting this together, what a, what a great service you've done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For the noise military, you put that treaty out there, <laughs> you had it signed and we can now live in a world where the Japanese American noise treaty will forever exist. So thank you so much for that. That's Do you know if there's wonderful. ever been any talk about, redoing it re you know doing a second press of it because like i said it's at, it's really not around or available do you did you ever have any inkling was there ever a talk about a second press or just wasn't really uh up for discussion 
I've, I've never heard anything about it. No. Um, it would definitely be interesting to, to think about. Um, I haven't really been in touch with Matt for a while, but who knows? I, I could always inquire and if there's, if there's an interest in it, uh, it's, it's kind of one of those funny things where, you know, in, in theory, I suppose they could do it, but it's been so long that, you know, would any, would any of the artists have an issue with it? Exactly. How, how would with do compilations, yeah. it's such a yeah, thing like that. It, it can be complicated with compilations. So, yeah. you know, maybe it's one of those things it's just best to have. So if you don't, if you haven't ever come across a copy, any, any, any newer people listening, just do what you can seek it out. You'll find it. Just go to, go to the record stores. It's going to be there. You will, you will come across it someday. And when you do snatch it right up. <laughs> Mason, before we go, anything the people need to know? What do you have going on? Oh, um, I don't know. Most of my noise work recently has been um, working on this crazy Dodge Jones Rage project. That's me and Chris Dodge and good old William Rage. Uh, and our, our noise trio has been very, very busy because we've been able to do it uh, from our individual places, sending stuff back and forth and cross mixing and, and editing and, and overdubbing and getting stuff out. So, so far we've, uh, we've hit all of the, um, all the formats. Uh, so LP and cassette and CD uh, and digital and uh, just keeping that going. Uh, right now, I've been very non-noising for the last couple of months because my entire studio's in pieces and waiting for me to put it back together now. Um, but, moving uh, is just so much fun. It's, it's oh just, yeah, it's <laughs> a joy. Sometimes yep. it feels like it never actually ends. It, we, you know, very just, true. Yeah, it's still. And at unpacking. some point, you're like, why do I even have all this stuff? Can I just get rid of everything and then move? That was that was a really appealing thought when we were looking at moving, standing in our house, going, "All right, now we're going to move this stuff. How the hell are we going to do that?" So yeah, leave it. Well, yeah. you got a safe home for those files over this way, so just send them our way. There's we'll no room here. Actually, there is zero room. Like, so send actually, them don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I, to, to be honest, I did that a little bit. I, I, I was packing stuff up, and I found some posters, and I thought. I've been I've had these posters for years and never put them up. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's someone else who would. And so I, I actually did send some stuff randomly to to people here and there. And I, I benefited from I yes. benefited from that. So thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's some great stuff uh, yeah. that he was shown us. So cool. So awesome. Well, Mason, thank you so much for joining us again. We'll obviously just have to keep having on. We always love talking with you and it's it's always a great conversation. So thanks Likewise. so much for yeah. Not only curating the Japanese American Noise Treaty, but talking about it with us so that everyone can hear about it. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't say how much it means to me to know that, uh, you know, that work done so many years ago has, has carried on and had an impact. That's what it's all about. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.